Whether you're a first-time poultry owner or looking to expand your flock, you can always use some helpful advice. Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered. With great info and products to help raise healthy birds in-store or online at farmandfleet.com forward slash chick days. Can you feel it? An industry that feeds the world is definitely an industry worth talking about. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Well, Merry Christmas Eve. Aaron Zimmerman here with you on the Midwest Farm Report on this Christmas Eve morning. Kind of hard to believe that Christmas and the holiday season is already here because if you walk outside, the weather doesn't necessarily feel like it. We'll find out more about our weather and extended forecast in just a little bit with Stumach Ag Meteorologist. We have an action-packed show for you. First, talking some Wisconsin-made Christmas wreaths with Greg Han of Han's Christmas Trees in Oregon, Wisconsin. Then, during your holiday travels, you might see some brand-new pro-ag billboards if you're up in northern Wisconsin. Kim Bremer joined me. She's executive director of Venture Dairy Cooperative and owner of Ag Inspirations to talk about the group that put those together. And finally, back to our weather topic. Many people won't be seeing a white Christmas this year, but what does this mean for our forage crops around the state? I caught up with Dan Undersander, UW Extension Forage Specialist, to find out how our forage crops like alfalfa and cover crops are doing around the state in this odd winter weather. Time to get things kicked off here on Friday, December 24th. Start off the new year strong by participating in the Dairy Business Association's annual Dairy Strong Conference, January 19th and 20th at the Monona Terrace in Madison. Dairy Strong brings together a wide variety of management philosophies and allows you to explore innovative ideas. At Dairy Strong, surround yourself with forward-thinking farmers and business owners. Register for the Dairy Business Association's annual Dairy Strong Conference at dairyforward.com. Virtual options are also available. Let's keep Dairy Strong. As you look at the decorations that the people have put up, whether it's on the tree or over the fireplace, whatever, some of them might be red berries. That could be cranberries. Bob Bosel here at the northern end of the world's longest barn. And, of course, we produce a lot of cranberries in Wisconsin, far more than anybody else. So there's a lot of work to do with the cranberries. And, Steph, you talked to a lady that's been involved in the industry for a long time and knows what the job is all about. That's right, Bob, and Merry Christmas Eve to you. I hope cranberries end up on your table this year. I'm Stephanie Hoff from the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. And yes, I caught up with cranberry grower Najee Van Wyken of Weatherby Cranberry Company. And she tells me that just because the harvest is over and fresh fruit packing is about finished, it doesn't mean the cranberry growers don't have a lot to do in the winter to care for that perennial crop. But first, we reflect on the harvest. She says this year's cranberry yield was down. Unfortunately, uh, Mother Nature gave us quite a twist, especially in this uh, area around the Warrens-Toma area, and um, uh, our crop is down considerably. I think it will be down statewide as well, but the final figures are not in yet. Why was it down? Well, a lot of speculation. (laughs) You never completely ever know the reason why, but... uh, About a year ago, around Halloween time, uh, we had received uh, some bitter cold temperatures. And the bud is always on the vine for the next year's crop. And we feel that that bud got damaged, and that was the majority of uh, the reason. And in this area, uh, around the 4th of July, we also had heavy rainfall, and that's the time of year when the cranberries are in blossom. And so we 
uh, we did not get good pollination of the uh, blossoms as we had hoped. So for those two reasons, we think that's why our uh, crop is down. Yeah, it's just those rogue frosts or cold snaps, they don't do any fruit crop any good here in Wisconsin. No, no, no. Give me a sense of scale. How much are you guys usually, um, I mean, what is your output usually on a given year? Well, it was estimated that Wisconsin's crop should be 5.5 million barrels. We still use the old standard weight of a barrel, which equals 100 pounds. So depending upon the variety of vines that you have depends upon the productivity that you might have. Uh, it can be anywhere from 300 to 5, 600 barrel per acre. The new hybrid varieties of vines uh, are very productive. How many acres is Weatherby? Uh, my husband and I, we have 110 acres ourselves. Then our son and son-in-law have additional acreages as well. We are an independent marsh, Weatherby is, but they are members of the uh, Ocean Spray Cooperative, which 60% of all growers belong to. It's the large grower-owned co-op in the, in the nation. It's been seasonably warm this fall. I mean, how does that influence the cranberry harvest? Well, it's actually made it easier for us because for our employees to be out in better temperatures and that it's easier working conditions for them, that really has been more of an asset than, than a deficit. But the labor shortages, like all across the nation, it has affected us as well. So uh, we struggle with having enough labor force. How bad was it this year in particular? It was the worst we had ever experienced. So uh, we just had to make do with less employees. You try to figure out creative ways so that uh, uh, you don't have to do quite as much manual work. There's a, a bonus to that because you do become creative and learn how to cope with less employees by doing your jobs more efficiently. Is Weatherby Cranberry Company, are you guys reliant on young kids, or not young kids, but, you know, high school-age students or seasonal workers or migrant workers? Well, as a family marsh during the summer months, we, we rely basically upon our own family, which uh, consists of uh, our fifth-generation grandchildren that we have working on the marsh. Uh, we do not rely upon any migrant help. And seasonal employees in the fall, um, we try to uh, uh, get back and retain the, the workers that we have uh, been had a pleasure to work with for many, many years. And we do our best at trying to keep the same employees coming back to us. Have you put your finger on maybe why you haven't been able to find enough people to, to help out or why you're having workforce problems? Well, not particularly. I think we're just, as part of the entire uh, loss of workforce, we are involved in that. We just cannot find people that are willing to, to work. How, mm -hmm. is, how is transporting berries? That does not seem to be a problem for us. We particularly own all of our semi-trucks and trailers to uh, deliver our bulk berries to the receiving station uh, where they are mechanically sorted uh, well enough for a processed product where they go into 1,000-pound wooden tote bins and taken 
to freezers and uh, kept frozen until our processor uh, decides to make the dried cranberries out of them. For our fresh fruit part of it, the wholesalers that we deal with, they provide the trucking to our marsh and pick up the packaged berries and take them to Minneapolis, St. Paul, and so forth. Has your processor expressed any concern over finding workforce? Oh, yes. They're in the same problem. Yes, they, they have difficulty finding uh, labor for their, for their company as well. Do you know what demand is looking like from a consumer standpoint? I know holidays are a busy time for cranberries, but are people asking you for more cranberries or you've never had an oversupply issue? Well, during the COVID part, we, we've uh, discovered that more people were obviously cooking and eating at home, and it actually, with, our, with the juice product, Ocean Spray has told us that they had a great amount of uptake in consumption of juice products, which is wonderful. And, of course, the dried cranberries are very versatile, so they can be used in a lot of different ways, and it seems as though that product is probably the fastest-growing uh, product in the industry is the, the dried cranberries. As far as the fresh market is concerned, usually that's a pretty stable market. Where we have been uh, selling at the Madison Farm Market or Dane County Farm Market, our cranberries are very well received. They, for some reason, are not finding as many fresh cranberries available at the grocery stores, so they're delighted to see that we are at the farm market. And plus, the buy local theme is very popular with people nowadays, they, and they enjoy uh, purchasing right from the grower themselves, and then they are able to ask any questions that they want, and we can clarify anything in their minds as far as our product is concerned. I wanted to ask you now, what does a cranberry producer do in the winter months? Okay, well, there's, there is seasonal work all year long. Uh, what happens in the winter time on a cranberry marsh is around Christmas time or sometime in December when we get a consecutive number of nights that are bitter cold, we bring the water level up in the beds and freeze the vines right into a blanket of ice. And that insulates the, the vine with the bud at the tip of the vine to be insulated from the cold winter temperatures and wind chill factors. And then there is a winter cultural practice called sanding that occurs usually around late January. We fill our dump trucks with a, a fine-grained sand with a sand spreader attachment on the tailgate, and we drive right out into these frozen beds. We create about a foot of ice on all these beds and then spread only a half-inch layer of sand on top of the ice. And then in late March, when the ice melts, the sand goes down to the base of the bed, and we do it for four important reasons. One is to keep the bed firm for all the harvest equipment in the fall. Second, it is a good stimulus to the root system of the plant. <coughs> Thirdly, the way the plant grows, the berries hang from short uprights. But there is also a long vegetative runner, which produces no fruit. However, if we can poke that long vegetative runner into the ground with uh, this half-inch layer of sand, 
up will come new short uprights that produce more fruit, and so your productivity increases in your beds or sections. And fourthly, uh, the reason for sanding is that after you harvest a bed, you drain the water back down. And if you have not uh, been able to drain off all the dead leaves and so forth, that would drain to the base of your bed, and you would, could possibly get insect infestation the next spring and summer. However, by putting this half-inch layer of sand on top of those piles of dead leaves, it is a natural biological way of getting rid of insects, so not as much uh, chemicals need to be used during the, the summer months. So a lot of thought and time goes into those beds, uh, even in the winter. And they are maintaining their equipment and also creating, building uh, new equipment because since there's only about 250 cranberry growers in the state of Wisconsin, the big machine companies are not interested in us because we wouldn't buy enough machinery. There are some specialized machine com companies in the state, but very few. But these family-owned and operated marshes seem to take a lot of pride in designing, creating, and building their own equipment during the winter in their shops. So much of the specialized cranberry equipment is built by the growers during the winter months in their own shops. There's a taste of what third-generation cranberry grower Najee Van Wyken and her family are up to on the cranberry farm. It's that work and dedication year-round that makes Wisconsin the top cranberry producer in the U.S. for nearly 30 years. From the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison, I'm Stephanie Hoff. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Looking for that unique, one-of-a-kind engagement ring, something that you can customize yourself, maybe a gorgeous pendant necklace, diamond earrings. The place to go, Goodman's Jewelers. They're an icon in Madison. They've been around forever and right on State Street in their same location, a couple blocks from the state capitol. They're the place to go to when it comes to buying jewelry. Goodman's Jewelers has everything from the more traditional style jewelry for your engagement rings, pendants, necklaces, earrings, to the more modern styles as well. They can customize and create anything for you. Unique, funky diamonds, one-of-a-kind pieces, Stuff you won't find anywhere else and price range for everyone. When you step into Goodman's Jewelers, you'll feel the warmth and you'll feel welcome. They'll treat you just like family. You want to go somewhere where you can trust when you're buying jewelry for that special someone? Then remember my friends and family at Goodman's Jewelers. Right there, a couple blocks from the state capitol on State Street. Goodman's Jewelers. What have we here? Crackers. At least I think they are. They're in a cellophane wrapper. There are two of them. Crackers always travel in pairs. They snap like crackers. Crumble like them, too. Nine out of ten cracker eaters would give them a positive ID. But these aren't crackers. They're dinner. Jim Krevix for five days straight. There are people like Jim all across Madison. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll supply people like Jim over $950,000 in food through Dane County's busiest food pantry. Just one part of the more than $1.4 million in clothing, shelter, furniture, 
and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. Spreading farm information and occasionally manure. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Yonke. Time now for our Compere Financial Ag Weather Update with Stu Mock, Ag Meteorologist. Now, Stu, according to the calendar, today is Christmas Eve and tomorrow's Christmas, but according to the weather outside, it doesn't feel quite like it should be here. Oh, absolutely not, Aaron. I mean, look at these temps. We should be at about 30 degrees right now. That's the normal high on the 24th of December. I expect today mid-40s. Yesterday, tomorrow, then falling into the upper 30s, but still way above normal. Not at all like we'd expect. You're heading toward the end of December. A warm front's pulled up through the state, way off into the far northern edge of Wisconsin, up into the UP. A weak system is out in the Dakotas this morning. There is some light snow along that warm front. Very far northern Minnesota in northwest Wisconsin, up toward that uh, western peak of Lake Superior. That's where precipitation is at this point. During the day, I think with all this mild air, some fog could be seen, and there's some chance there may be just a little patchy drizzle, but uh, don't worry about it a great deal, with the exception that some road surfaces could have a little freezing with that drizzle, and that would be more a likelihood here on toward late today or just into the nighttime. That fog around overnight, as temperatures stay pretty mild, more like daytime highs instead of nighttime lows. We cool off a little bit on into Christmas Day, Saturday, and Sunday, and there'll be another weak system that may account for a little snowfall. You know, that stray flurry or sprinkle may pop up on or off during Christmas Day tomorrow. And then there'll be a bit of a snow chance again, some light snow by late Sunday, just into the day Monday. Not going to amount to much an inch or so at most. So not a lot of major weather problems. But keep in mind, you could find some slippery spots now and again if you're out traveling or if somebody's coming to visit, something like that. And that possibility's around today, Saturday, even Sunday. Not going to give us a real big break, but nothing really serious. I'll have forecast details right after this. There goes Pam Yonke across Wisconsin in her suburban truck. Thanks to our equipment. Check out the affordable, efficient, versatile tractor line at our equipment and ask for Mr. Versatile. Chunk Gill, and from the dairy farmers of Wisconsin, promoting Wisconsin's world-class dairy products since 1983. Look for their proudly Wisconsin badge on dairy products. Keep up with Pam at fabulousfarmbabe.net on Facebook and Twitter. All right, Sue, let's get the rest of that forecast looking through the holiday weekend and ahead. Oh, absolutely. Our Compure Financial Ag Weather Info does indeed call for a mostly cloudy but very mild day today. Some drizzle or a little patchy fog could pop up almost any time. Look for temps up in the mid-40s with the southeast winds about 5 to 10. Still that possibility for a little drizzle at least into tonight. Fog may be back around. It could freeze onto your windshield. Keep that in mind. Nighttime lows in the low 30s, maybe a 30 or a 29. It's even in Boston a little cooler. The southwest winds 5 to 10 become north late. Tomorrow, a cloudy day, a very slight chance of some very light rain or a couple of stray snowflakes midday, maybe lingering in the afternoon further east. Some sunshine tries to break out in the west here later in the day. Uh, Call it mid or upper 30s, 36, 37 degrees. North winds about 5 to 10. Sunday, and maybe a little sunshine for a time, but mostly cloudy skies redevelop, and that snow chance developing toward late in the day. Again, mid-upper 30s, northwest winds 5 to 10. Monday, a little snow around, some sun back, 
close to 40, upper 30s, almost 40. But then as we head on toward uh, the rest of the end of the year, I expect, Aaron, we start talking about temps back in the 30s, lower 30s, more like normal as we head for 2022. That does sound a little more normal. Well, that's your Compere Financial Ag Weather Update with Ag Meteorologist Stu Muck. Compere Financial is your financial partner committed to agriculture and rural America. Visit Compere.com. Have a very Merry Christmas, Stu, and we'll talk to you later. You too, Aaron. Take care. Thanks. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Someday, everyone will have an energy-efficient tankless water heater and an endless supply of hot water. Benjamin Plumbing is now an A-certified dealer of Renai Tankless Water Heaters, the number one selling tankless water heater in North America. Renai Tankless Water Heaters are up to 40% more efficient and provide endless hot water. Stop wasting tons of energy keeping 40, 50, even 75 gallons of water hot all day and night with your old water heater. Call Benjamin Plumbing today and learn more about the new state-of-the-art energy-efficient Renai tankless water heaters, including a factory-extended warranty. Go tankless. Endless hot water for your home with a new Renai water heater from Benjamin Plumbing. Hi, Dale Benjamin with Benjamin Plumbing. When we say your plumbing problem is fixed, we mean it. No excuses. I guarantee it. Contact Benjamin Plumbing at BenjaminPlumbing.com. Now you've got a friend in the plumbing business. Benjamin Plumbing. Attorney John Rihala with Clifford and Rihala. At Clifford and Rihala, we have the experience you need to help you after any kind of collision. We help people who have been seriously injured, ranging from pedestrians hit crossing the street, people rear-ended by semi-trucks, to victims of drunk driver crashes. No matter how you've been injured, our experienced and skilled attorneys will help you get your maximum recovery. And very importantly, we also know how to protect that recovery. At Clifford and Rihala, we understand that many issues can come up after a settlement is reached. If those issues aren't handled carefully, an injury victim can lose money. Don't let that happen to you. Call Clifford and Rihala. For relentless dedication to helping you and your family, choose Clifford and Rihala, hardworking, skilled attorneys fighting for you. For justice, myjustice.com. Looking for that unique, one-of-a-kind engagement ring, something that you can customize yourself, maybe a gorgeous pendant necklace, diamond earrings. The place to go, Goodman's Jewelers. They're an icon in Madison. They've been around forever and right on State Street in their same location, a couple blocks from the state capitol. They're the place to go to when it comes to buying jewelry. Goodman's Jewelers has everything from the more traditional style jewelry for your engagement rings, pendants, necklaces, earrings, to the more modern styles as well. They can customize and create anything for you. Unique, funky diamonds, one-of-a-kind pieces, stuff you won't find anywhere else, and price range for everyone. When you step into Goodman's Jewelers, you'll feel the warmth and you'll feel welcome. They'll treat you just like family. You want to go somewhere where you can trust when you're buying jewelry for that special someone? Then remember my friends and family at Goodman's Jewelers. Right there, a couple blocks from the state capitol on State Street. Goodman's Jewelers. This looks like a car. Has tires. Headlights, a hood. Windshield wipers. The doors look like car doors. Open like them, too. 
There's a front seat, back seat, steering wheel. 99.9% of the time, this would be a car. But it's not. This is a bedroom. Anita Washington's for five weeks. There are people like Anita all across Dane County. And because the need is there, so are we. This year, we'll provide Anita and other women, children, and men with nearly 20,000 nights of shelter. Just one part of more than $1.4 million in food, clothing, furniture, and other goods and services we provide. We're St. Vincent de Paul, helping our neighbors in need. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. I grew up on tour with my parents. Kind of different, but we bonded over music just like other families do over sports, camping, or other interests. And we talked. Little everyday conversations from silly to serious that built a foundation over time. Honest conversations, like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. And I was so grateful that you and mom had become these sober, stable people who were always there for me. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now, that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs, whether it's music or anything else. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. The Browns have like 17 people on here. Are the Packers going to be uh, going up against a MASH unit in Cleveland, or are we uh, thinking they're going to get some guys back here? It's it's so tough to predict on this, Evo, but there, there's so many hoops to get through, too, before these guys come back and they're cleared. Even when these guys say they, they feel fine and, and, and they're still not brought back, um, you know, because they need the two positive, uh, you know, the, the two tests where, where, where they completely clear and, you know, they, they, they don't have any, you know, uh, COVID left in the, in the system and things like that. Usually, usually the guys are going to miss a minimum of a game. I mean, on Green Bay's end, for example, you know, don't expect MVS. Yeah. On um, you know on, on on Saturday afternoon, is Kenny but Clark. Kenny Clark's back. Yes, is Kenny Clark back? Kenny Clark will. They'll make a final determination on him on Saturday. Okay, so okay, gotcha. That that will be officially day ten, which is which the way the rules read is is the day you know when when you are eligible to come back. It's the tenth day. Um, gotcha. My get my guess, Evo, is yes, they will clear him and he will play. But, you know, you might not get your normal 52 snaps or whatever out of Kenny Clark. It might be 20, uh, which, which is still better than no Kenny Clark. Don't get me wrong. But, but you know, he, he, is, he has been away from the facility, the team, you know, for, for a week and a half. His conditioning will be down, um, you know, specifically back to the Browns, Evo. I, I wouldn't expect a lot of those guys, you know, to get cleared. It sounds like Baker's got a chance. Um, and, 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 he you know, at, at least they'll have their starting quarterback back. Um, they're kind of like Green Bay, though, Evo, um, and and I fully expect the Packers to win this game and probably win it comfortably, Evo. But but they do have a deep roster. Um, it, it is amazing if if they had better quarterback play this season, Evo, they would be an eleven win team like Green Bay. But they're, they're sitting at five hundred. But their roster is ridiculously deep, and and they've got three really good running backs. They probably got the best offensive line in football. They've got a lot of pieces on defense. I know Garrett's beat up a little bit, but but he he's an absolute beast to kind of lead that unit. They've got playmakers on 
you know, at, at the tight end and wide receiver position. It's, it, it's a pretty good football team, Evo. If they had better quarterback play, more consistency out of the quarterback this season, they would certainly be leading that division and probably in, in contention for home field in the AFC. And then that's why they'll in all likelihood change out the quarterback uh, this, this particular offseason. But, you know, again, Evo, specifically to Sunday, they're going to be down a number of guys. Green Bay's can only be down a couple. Green Bay's got the better team. Either way, so it you know it, it should be a merry Christmas for Packer Nation. Oh, I like that, Robbie. Uh, you know, I always like to see teams go out at full strength. Obviously, you know, mano we mano, see who truly is the best in the field. But in the NFL, I guess you know, in all sports right now, it is what it is. So, Rob, speaking of Kenny Clark, that victory the Packers had hanging on over the Ravens. You know, John Harbaugh asked the players, "Do you want to go for two? They say yes, and they miss it. Obviously, Packers win thirty-one thirty. Uh, Kenny Clark, though, in that game, with not playing, obviously, but. Was was the reason why the Ravens were gashing everywhere is because Kenny Clark is truly that important to the defense and cogging up that middle? I think that's a real easy answer, Evo, to say, you know, it's, it's as simple as just Kenny Clark being out. But but there's more layers to it than that. There was there was a real lack of, of lane integrity from some guys on defense, almost like special teams in the Bears game the previous week, Evo, when, when guys kept getting out of their lanes and Chicago was hitting him for for big returns, you know, especially the 97-yard punt return. Mm. Uh, but you saw that, too, on the on the defensive side of the ball last week, especially up front and then, and then at the linebacker level. Guys just kind of abandoning their responsibilities, playing, you know, a little more hero ball, and, and Huntley took full advantage of it in that game. Um, they, they've got some things to be worried about right now, Evo, on the defensive side of the ball. It, 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 it's really fascinating, if, if you think about it. A month ago, we sat here and we said, how, how are they going to get the offense fixed to make a deep playoff run because the defense is carrying them? Well, they, they have. They've averaged about 36 points a game, Evo, over the last four, four games. But on, at the same point in time, in that stretch, Evo, they're, averaging, or they're allowing 30.5 points a game on defense in the last four. They lost the Minnesota game. They've won three straight since then. But, but all those games, you know, all, all those games, the opponent has, has been pushing 30 Evo, and, and they've got to get that fixed. They've, they've got to get that cleaned up and, and get back to playing the way they, they did the first uh, two months of the season. Chicago shouldn't put what Chicago put up, up on them on that Sunday night, 28 or 30, I think. The, the, the Ravens just put up you know 30 with a backup quarterback. That shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the one thing to me that remains a real wild card. Roses are red, violets are blue, and you bet she'll be talking farming with you. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Roses may be red and violets may be blue, but since it's Christmas Eve, we're going to go ahead and talk about something that is green. Now, from the Alcivia Farm News Desk, here's what's happening on a Friday. Hopefully you have your real Wisconsin-grown Christmas tree up and decorated in your home. But if you've gone ahead and decorated the rest of your house, hopefully you might even have one or maybe even a few Wisconsin-made Christmas wreaths. Now, did you know Wisconsin is actually a top producer of Christmas wreaths? I had the chance to talk with Greg Han of Han's Christmas Tree Farms in Oregon, Wisconsin, who is one of Wisconsin's top producers of Christmas wreaths, to talk a little bit more about them. Yeah, the wreaths always take a backseat in Wisconsin, but Wisconsin's a huge producer of Christmas wreaths. Uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan uh, produce quite a few uh, live green pots and all live greenery. Uh, we start wreaths already uh, before Halloween just to get them done in time. Uh, we really try to take care of the greens. 
uh, make sure that they're cut after a frost, and we bring them down. Here we do about three semi-loads of boughs. We're doing 6,500 wholesale wreaths. And again, it's back to the local economy. It's great that uh, all of this stuff, you know, isn't, we, we talked uh, off air, but uh, all of this stuff isn't sitting in containers on e- either one of the coasts. This is a Wisconsin-grown uh, money was made in Wisconsin. Money is being spent in Wisconsin. It's a local economy. And the pandemic has kind of taken some of that away in the media. And it's nice to kind of circle back to that. Uh, all of my employees, we have 100 employees here. You know, that is employing for seasonal jobs. There's a lot of people that just make extra money for their spending money. Um, and and wreaths is a big, big part of that also, besides just the Christmas tree industry. Sure. And I think a really cool part about that, too, is that, you know, I asked if if maybe all your wreath parts come from your ugly trees that you don't want to sell, but you actually have so much volume of wreaths that you sell that it comes from a lot of different places, actually, but mostly still from Wisconsin. That's correct. Uh, most of it go to Wausau, come from the Wausau area. It's a huge producer up there, northern Wisconsin, where where balsam stands grow naturally and, and little ones pop up. Um, but we really don't like to use the word ugly. You know, every tree is beautiful to somebody somewhere, even Charlie Brown. So there's not, uh, we tag everything here some people it's funny you say ugly but you know i used to think well that tree will never sell and we put a tag on it we price it down a little bit and somebody wants a wide open tree or they come and say i want a flat tree that fits against the wall or uh, the next person will say i want a tree that's completely dense because all we do is put lights on it and the next one says i want it wide open because i have five thousand ornaments and i want to decorate all the way to the trunk so um there's no such thing as that uh, really the best tree is the one that somebody falls in love with. We love that uh, customers come to our farm and it means a lot to me that I can grow something that somebody brings into their house and is is the focal point for such a great celebration. Sure, definitely takes all kinds. Well, that's Greg Han of Han's Christmas Tree Farm in Oregon, Wisconsin. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Aaron Zimmerman. Hey, there goes Pam Yonke in her suburban truck across Wisconsin. Thanks to Blaine's Farm and Fleet, the original, authentic, still family-owned since 1965. And by your Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin. Dairy Farmers of Wisconsin exists to be a tireless advocate, marketer, and promoter for Wisconsin dairy farmers by growing demand for their dairy products. Keep up with Pam on social media, Fabulous Farm Babe on Facebook and Twitter, and at MidwestFarmReport.com. Commodity market trading in Chicago is closed today on Christmas Eve, but in just a moment, we'll take a look at yesterday's closing market numbers. But first, a lot of traveling is going to be going on here this holiday weekend and all the way through the holiday season. And if you happen to be traveling in northern Wisconsin, you might see some new pro-agriculture billboards. Those can be found on Highway 70, 8, and 35. I had the chance to talk with Kim Bremer. She's executive director of Venture Dairy Cooperative and owner of Ag Inspiration to find out a little bit more about these agriculture billboards that are actually replacing some billboards that had misinformation previously. Yes, it's pretty exciting. They're on Highway 70 and Highway 35 and Highway 8. This initiative was just started by some of the local farmers in Polk and Burnett County, uh, reached out to their neighbors and community members and people who support agriculture. And uh, I don't think they had any idea that this is going to turn into what it has. Uh, It took literally, I would say, maybe just an afternoon of kind of just fundraising word of mouth, and they had enough to put the first three up, and money has continued to come in. They've added two more. I believe they're working on some longer-term leases, and it it was really exciting to see all kinds of people come together from 
the dairy industry, chicken farmers, hog farmers, and just everyone coming together to support a good message. Let's talk a little bit about why it's such an important thing that these people decided to come together and make a difference and really get that message out there in front of people. Well, that is an area where there has been some activity from some activist groups. And, you know, to their credit, they're very uh, consistent in their messaging. Uh, they've had billboards there in the past. And, and and actually, you know, it's unfortunate. There's just so much misinformation out there about agriculture, particularly in this case, uh, CAFOs. And it's just easy for people to believe the narrative rather than talking to actual farmers, going out to farms and touring them. Um, meeting these families that own and operate uh, large farms and small farms. It's just it's just a product of this misinformation about agriculture. And unfortunately, when you repeat something enough times, it becomes the truth. And, you know, people think that something's bad without actually understanding it. And I think that happens a lot in this case. And the other thing I think, you know, by doing this, I think this is more of a, you know, proactive approach rather than a reactive, you know, rather than allowing the other message to continue to spread and then just trying to fix it, getting the message out first in front of people is kind of, you know, like you say, getting the message out, getting to people to know the truth from right from the start. Yes. And, you know, agriculture is a family and they really, we know that there is no one way, one size fits all way to farm, that there's a lot of different ways to do it. And every farmer has their own business plan. I think it's probably more important than ever that uh, more farmers just get involved in these conversations and these types of initiatives. That was Kim Bremer, Executive Director of Venture Dairy Cooperative and owner of Ag Inspiration. Hopefully you get a chance to see these billboards and hopefully more of them will be popping up around the state in the near future. Now let's go ahead and take a look at our closing commodity markets from yesterday, December 23rd. March corn finished at 605 and three quarters, up three and a quarter. January soybeans at 1332, up three and a quarter. March wheat, up three quarters at 814 and three quarters. The January milk contract at 1952, down two cents, while the February contract is down 20 cents at 1995. Barrel cheese finished at 165 unchanged. 40 pound blocks also unchanged at 187 and a quarter. And double A butter up six at 225. There's a look at your most current commodity markets this morning. We'll be right back after this. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Is your crop insurance strategy to just do what you did last year? At Compier Financial, we know how challenging it can be to navigate insurance planning. So we work hard to understand your goals and needs. Let us leverage our exclusive tools and vast experience to develop a strategy that protects your operation. Partner with us today. Give us a call at 844-426-6733 or visit compier.com slash crop insurance. Compier does not provide legal or licensed financial planning services. Compier Financial ACA is an equal opportunity lender and provider. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Someday, everyone will have an energy-efficient tankless water heater and an endless supply of hot water. Benjamin Plumbing is now an A-certified dealer of Renai Tankless Water Heaters, the number one selling tankless water heater in North America. Renai Tankless Water Heaters are up to 40% more efficient and provide endless hot water. Stop wasting tons of energy keeping 40, 50, even 75 gallons of water hot all day and night with your old water heater. Call Benjamin Plumbing today and learn more about the new state-of-the-art energy-efficient Renai tankless water heaters, including a factory-extended warranty. Go tankless. Endless hot water for your home with a new Renai water heater from Benjamin Plumbing. Hi, Dale Benjamin with Benjamin Plumbing. 
When we say your plumbing problem is fixed, we mean it. No excuses. I guarantee it. Contact Benjamin Plumbing at BenjaminPlumbing.com. Now you've got a friend in the plumbing business. Benjamin Plumbing. Shopping for that special someone can be hard. You want to make sure that gift is perfect. Jewelry is always a great go-to because it lasts forever. Place to go, Goodman's Jewelers. They have the best prices, something for every budget. They have incredible quality jewelry, one-of-a-kind pieces, diamonds, engagement rings, traditional and modern styles, and you can customize your own. Something for a Badger Packer fan? Goodman's Jewelers has it. A true icon in Madison, the city's oldest full-service jewelry store, is your family. Goodman's Jewelers. Hang on to your tractors. Here's another update. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. While many parts of Wisconsin may not be experiencing a white Christmas this year, we will most likely eventually see the white fluffy snow. But for now, as we are experiencing some odd Wisconsin winter weather, I wondered how that might affect our forage crops. And to find that answer, I caught up with Dan Undersander. He's the UW Extension Forage Specialist. We discussed how a lack of snow may affect the health or life of forage crops around the state. Yes, the good news, Aaron, is that as long as we planted appropriately winter-hardy varieties, we should be in good shape yet so far this year. Uh, while snow does insulate, our daily temperatures have often been above freezing. At night, we'll get a little cooler. But until that soil temperature at 4 inches gets down to about 15, uh, we don't have to worry about the survival of any of these crops. The key thing is that soil temperature at that depth because that's what kills the root system and the crown. And so, again, while we've had some cool nights, we haven't had many down in that 13-degree range, and it hasn't been long enough that the soil temperature would actually get that cool. The soil itself, in most cases, were, I would say, dry to um, moderate moisture levels. Uh, We'll have a significant insulating capacity and we'll actually insulate the crop against almost 20 degrees of air temperature overnight. So so the good news is that as long as we have planted uh, appropriately winter-hardy varieties, we shouldn't be with any issue at this point. Now, you know, we talk about, you mentioned the importance of that snow for that plant to protect it, give it some insulation, those kind of things. But obviously with some different temperatures this year, we've actually, instead of seeing snow, we've seen a little bit of rain here and there. Does that have any negative or positive effect on these plants that way, you know, being that we're not really usually getting rain in temperatures like this? It all depends on the amount, Aaron. And generally speaking, our soils have been dry enough that they can absorb the rain and it's not an issue. The first principle is that a wet soil does get colder than a dry soil, so that much is true. On the other hand, unless the soil is essentially waterlogged, we don't have to worry too much about a little additional rain. In fact, it appears we might even get some more yet before the end of the year. But short of, uh, you know, as long as it's been fractions of an inch, that sort of thing, and we're not seeing ponding or ice ponds in the field, then that's uh, not a problem for us. The other thing, of course, is that since most of the ground is not frozen yet, any rain that does occur 
will soak into the soil rather than form a pond on the surface. We are worried about ponds of water on the surface because they will keep oxygen from getting down into the root system of the crops under the water, and that can certainly kill crops. But it doesn't look like we have seen any of that to any extent yet this year. So, Aaron, frankly, um, while it's been a different year, the good news is that most of our crops should be able to withstand these weather differences with no problem at all. Let's talk a little bit about once we get to that point, because uh, we all know inevitably we're going to get there here in Wisconsin, that our ground does freeze and those kind of things happen. I guess let's talk a little bit about kind of what happens once the ground gets frozen, you know, maybe some of the positive negatives or where things are going to go once we get there. Eventually you are right. The uh, ground will freeze. We would need some period of days with uh, highs below 32 degrees. And, and then that soil will freeze. important thing to keep in mind is that, and it, it has a big interaction with the snow cover, uh, once the ground freezes, it stays pretty close to 28 degrees most of the time, uh, particularly under snow. Uh, what happens is the frost does move deeper, but the soil temperature stays about the same. And so at 28 degrees, we're... 12, 13 degrees above the temperature that would kill the plant. Now, the times that we have to worry are when we don't have snow cover, and then we have some zero or minus temperatures for three or four or five days. Then that surface area can get significantly colder than the 28 degrees, and then we can have kill of the alfalfa. Again, uh, that requires the soil temperature getting down to about 13 degrees. So the temperature getting there is a function of how cold it is and how long it stays cold. It can happen without snow cover. We haven't seen much of that in recent years, and and then particularly the areas up north with snow cover are unlikely to see anything like that. And now I'm guessing probably the answer is that we're kind of at the mercy of the weather. But, you know, if we get into those situations that are, you know, I guess a little more negative situations, is there anything that we can do to prevent winter kill or anything like that? Or is it just kind of going to happen one way or another? So first, I prefer to think of winter injury and then winter kill because we can hurt the plants but not kill them and then we can kill the plants. The short answer to your question is there's not much we can do anymore. In September, we should have made sure that we had the fertility levels up. That will tend to help the plant make it through the winter, particularly if we have good potassium and sulfur in the soil. And then the second thing is that we could have left a little bit of residue there. Many parts of Wisconsin had very good crop yields this year, so we could have left the alfalfa. We could leave some grasses in the pastures, so we don't want the grasses to get above six inches because if snow does come, they may lay down and form a mat and get diseases. So grasses below six inches, but a little bit of height is helpful. And then on alfalfa and other crops, a little bit of height is good, and that uh, Above-ground growth will keep the temperature a bit higher in the vicinity of the soil and will uh, 
keep the plant a bit warmer that it can better survive cold snaps. Now, I guess one other question I have when it comes to the snow cover that we've been talking about, you know, if for some reason it would end up that we would kind of be at a lower snow cover for a good chunk of winter, is that going to affect anything in the spring when it comes to melting and everything thawing as well? It could. It probably will not. But it is possible, and this is where we think about the uh, particular injury to alfalfa stands. The alfalfa has put out the buds for spring growth next year. If those buds are killed, then to the extent that they are, then the alfalfa will put out fewer stems and the yield of first cutting will be reduced. So there is a potential for injury without snow cover, and uh, particularly when we have some bright sunny days and you start to see some greening and then it freezes back, uh, that's when we get the injury. So the the main crop that we would worry about being affected by the lack of snow cover really would be the alfalfa. And assuming the farmer has planted a good winter hardy variety, uh, the main concern would be not kill of the plant but injury which would remove some of those buds that were put down in the fall and reduce the yield of first cutting in the spring. However, the alfalfa will recover on second and third cutting. Now, anything else that you'd like to add, you know, when it comes to our alfalfa cover crops, any of our forages, you know, as we continue to go through winter? Well, so so the first thing is from a forage standpoint, uh, the bulk of our forages are pretty winter hardy. And while we always worry about winter survival, I think it's important to recognize that most of the forages and the small grains make it through the winter most of the time. Uh, We can always have scenarios, and oftentimes it's spotty, where uh, one portion of a county uh, was a little colder, a little wetter, uh, something happened. But uh, generally speaking, In spite of all of our worries, most of the time, most of the forages and small grains make it through the winter. All righty. Well, that's Dan Undersander, UW Extension Forage Specialist.